have children's worship, kids' worship over here with Miss Faye B. So if you'd like to be part of that, she's having a big crowd in her uh, kids' worship. It's a great time for them. The Apostle Peter is full of wonder at the resurrection and having lived through the crucifixion and seen all that happened there and experienced his own failure and then in the resurrection to see the victory of God over death, hell, and the grave and then to reinterpret life from that point of view. So standing back and looking at all that God did in Christ, once filled with the Spirit, Peter became such an advocate for a new way of life, a life full of meaning and purpose, anchored in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And we're going in our series today to 1 Peter chapter 3 again, and I want to continue to read out of that chapter, or 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Settle the meaning of your life, I call this. I don't know. I remember when I settled the meaning of my life, and I wrote a song about it. I was a boy, and I realized that God had saved me by his grace, and he was calling me to be his own, and I just said, I want my life to count for Jesus, and that's what my life has meant ever since. And to receive Christ is to lose your life in Christ and in that way to find him. The one who lays down his life for us invites us to lay down our lives in him. And Peter gets that. 1 Peter 1.13 Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear for you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect he was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. I have been intrigued by this statement of Peter here concerning the empty way of life handed down to them by their forefathers. An empty way of life handed down to them. And I think he's speaking to Jews. I believe that he grew up in the Jewish understanding of God and religion. And now he looks at it 
as an empty way of life. There's a lot of honesty in that, and there's some risk in it too. Peter's not who he used to be. He grew up in a certain way, and Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection changed how he thought about life. And he says to his hearers, you know, some of us got an empty way of life handed down from our forefathers. Maybe that's you. There are some people, mighty intelligent people, who think that life is essentially empty. You know this, right? They have in their intellect thought through the process and come to the conclusion that life has no meaning. Albert Camus was one of those. Nobel Prize winner for literature in 1951. Wrote a little book called The Myth of Sisyphus in which he described life, human life on this planet as like the god Sisyphus, who was sentenced to push a boulder up a mountain, almost reaching the pinnacle, he would then see that boulder roll all the way down to the bottom, and then he'd have to go back and do it again. And he did it for eternity. It was the sentence that the gods gave him. And Camus thought that we are sentenced to a life of absurdity that is truly meaningless. And in fact, he said, life is irrational and inhuman. That's how he felt about life itself. And he was very influential. And a group of scholars and writers followed in his wake, describing life this way. You say, that's pretty bleak. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He knew it was bleak. Albert Camus knew it was bleak. He said the only philosophical question of any value is, should man live in this or should he take his own life? A very sad kind of way to live. But I think Albert Camus represents a lot of people who maybe not with the fine descriptions that he had, but in their own language, understanding and inner heart wonder, Does life mean anything? Does my personal life have any meaning? Is there a purpose for me? Peter wants you to recognize the limits of human reason. Paul said, the world by wisdom did not know God. It is clear in the scripture that the rational process is not how you discover God. The rational process actually has limits. God knowing that in our wisdom we cannot apprehend him, revealed to us in creation through the prophets and then through his son Jesus who he is. He's telling us who he is. In other words, he is sending a message to us which we cannot apprehend in our own rationality and understanding. Now, we acknowledge the limits of human 
wisdom and rationality in a lot of ways. And I've lived in a time when technology and science has just galloped forward. And to be frank, I'm really happy about it, okay? I know some people think technology is the enemy, but I can talk to my son in Lubbock every day. I can even FaceTime my grandkids. That's worth a lot to me, all right? So I'm not one who poo-poos technology and science. I'm glad they're there, and I'm glad we've got the medicine that we have and all of the amenities of life in this modern time to help us stay in touch with one another. I know they can be misused. And yet, this generation is becoming cynical and skeptical about science. You realize this? And they're seeking other alternatives because it does not seem like science, as good as it is, and technology as amazing as it may be, it does not seem like it answers the fundamental question of life, why am I here? And unless you have an answer to that, then you don't have much of anything else. Settle the meaning of your life. Discipline your mind. Peter mentions here a couple things that I think are very important. One of them is have a sober mind. The Bible talks about your mind and how you ought to think. And some of you have a racing mind. And some of you have gone to a very dark place mentally. You've been through difficulties, you've been through trouble, you've been through sorrow and suffering, and you've ended up in a dark place mentally. Maybe you've even made the mistake of thinking that pain and sorrow, tears, bereavement and loss, that this is ultimately what life is about. Maybe you've even decided that this is what your life is about. And that, my friends, is a dark place. There's not much light there. When people get in such dark places and they think those dark places are like box canyons and there's no way out, they do irrational things. We read about things in the newspaper and we say, what would possess a person to do such a thing? Or sometimes as victims of the terrible atrocity of, of others, we ask, what on the world? If I could just understand it. And the fact is, for much human behavior, there is no rational process from A to B. It doesn't make sense. It's irrational. People get trapped in these dark places and they do things. Sometimes we suppose we are victims of our thoughts. And we are stuck here in this mental world of ours. And we can't get out and it's not our fault. But the scripture says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And the Apostle Paul said, look, I've got some things for you to think about, and I want you to put your mind there. In fact, the Apostle Paul and the other writers, including Peter, 
Treat your mental process as if it is any other process, the process of walking or holding things with your hand or making choices about whether you'll go right or you'll go left. The discipline of mind, in fact, is just as real as the discipline of body. Just like you may be dieting for certain purposes, for health reasons. You, you're disciplining your body. You're bringing it into subjection. You're keeping it under control. You do the same thing with your mind. You are not a victim of your thoughts. You're making choices about what is going to be in your mind. And people who get trapped in the notion that they can't help what comes into their mind often get stuck in a very dark place. So I want you to think now about how you can substitute the difficult, dismal, sorrowful thinking, the fatalistic thinking that may have captured you with thinking that is connected to the death, yes, we don't deny sorrow, trouble, loss, and death. The burial, yes, the silence of the grave, but also the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Is there a way that you can discipline your mind, your thinking, that brings honor to the Lord who conquered the grave for you? Can you think in a way that brings him pleasure and brings him glory. For Peter is convinced and determined that everything in life must be made subject to the one who rose from the dead. And so he is encouraging a perspective in every follower of Jesus that looks forward to the hope that is in us, looks forward to the coming of Jesus, remembers that we live in the third day, in the day of the resurrection, and death has been conquered. And it is not the ultimate reality this pain and sorrow that you're experiencing. The ultimate reality is the light and hope that pours out of a grave that is empty and open and Jesus has been raised from the dead. This is ultimate. This is the final reality. This is the climactic moment in human history when God is communicating to us what life is about. Life's about hearing. Life's about knowing. Being anchored in him and keeping your face and mind and heart fixed on the hope that you have in him. Now, when you discipline your mind, you also address the evil desires that come into every heart and every mind, all right? And Peter talks about these evil desires. We used to have, he said, these evil desires and conformed our lives to the evil desires. Okay? Now, everybody knows what the evil desires are. They are self-destructive. They are destructive of others. They are destructive of relationships. They go against the word of God and the clear teaching of Scripture. These are evil desires. Everybody has them. Everybody in the room struggles with them, okay? If you feed an evil desire, it will grow bigger 
not go away. See, the enemy tells you, if I feed this evil desire, I'll be satisfied, and my life will be full. <laughs> no. The opposite is true. If you feed this evil desire, the desire will grow bigger, and your life will be empty. Because the evil desire cannot satisfy your soul. It can't. And it will leave you with an empty life. And once you have satiated yourself on the evil desire and you've crammed as much of whatever it is into your life, you will on the other end wonder what in the world you were doing. Because the evil desire destroys. It doesn't give life. It empties. It doesn't fill you up. There is a process in the mind and heart by which a follower of Jesus disciplines himself to refuse the evil desire and choose the good. You say, well, what should my desire be? Desire. Desire God. You say, oh, that's, that's too thin. No, think about it for a minute. God created the world and everything in it. He is life. He is the definition of life and love. If you desire him, you will for the rest of your life be focused on the brightest light in this universe. And you'll be moving toward the one who brought you into being. If you desire God, he will replace the other things that only make you empty with the life that makes you full. The devil says it the opposite. He says it's silver and gold. If you get the silver and gold, your life will be full. You put all that stuff in, you're going to be okay. The one who dies with the most toys wins. Really? That's what life is about. That's the empty way of life handed down to us by some of our forefathers. And for some of us, the DNA and those old tapes that we learned at home still play in our minds over and over. And we hear those folks say that had authority in our life the things that steal life. And there's got to be a point where you say, I am not going to play this tape in my mind any longer. And I'm not going to give this person who taught me wrong authority over my life in the here and now. I am going to choose another path. I'm not going to live this empty life, even though it was handed down to me by my forefathers. Peter is speaking personally as he delivers this word to us. But many people in the church could resonate with this word that he speaks. Yes, I know. I know what you're talking about. I grew up in a home where God was not acknowledged. We didn't pray together. And folks just didn't seem to really have a reason for being here. Well, that emptiness threatens the heart of the child who grows up in the home. 
And so the, the Lord Jesus himself is drawing you to the truth that can only be found in him. And though it draws you away in some ways from your roots, it is the truth. And repentance for you may be turning from this empty life that you inherited, turning from it to a life that is filled in Christ. Now, nobody lives this out perfectly. Nobody walks this path without stumbling. Part of the discipline of mind is to set your hope on grace. I love this phrase. Set your hope on grace. If you've made an idol of your intellect, repent and set your hope on grace. You know, I grew up with a very smart man. He was my first cousin. His name was Brian. We're the same age. And from the time I knew him, I knew he was ahead of me. He started school when he was three. He graduated from high school by the time he was 16. He wrote the programming for the university where he went to school. He reprogrammed the Hewlett Packard printer. He had an IQ of 186. And I've now outlived him by 12 years. Because he and his wife took a fatal dope of, uh, dose of heroin and died together in a cabin in Colorado. And he fought with depression his whole life. Now, I have hope. His friends said that he did turn to Christ at one point in his life. And his father said that depression had a tremendous hold on him. No matter how smart you are, there have been smart people in the world for a long, long time. You know, it's been 2,500 years since Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle laid the foundation, which is still the foundation for modern philosophy. There have been smart people in the world a long time, smarter than you. To confess that human reason has limitations, that there is more to life and more to you than just your mind, that you've got a heart and soul and spirit, and you've got strength, and all these are part of who you are. And to set your hope on grace is to say, God, I know the limitations of my thinking process and the collective intellect of the human race. And so I am depending on grace, which is a free gift of God. I am depending on your gift to understand the meaning and purpose of my life. I'm putting all my hope in your gift and God's gift is his revelation to you of who he is 
through the prophets, through creation, and ultimately through his son, Jesus. Set your hope on grace. Can you do this? Can you set your hope on grace? Let me show you how that works today. You've come into this room wanting to worship, but knowing that you failed. And because you've failed morally in this last week in some way, there's kind of a darkness on your soul. Now, the enemy of your soul would like to empty you out with that darkness. He wants to smother your life with that darkness. This is what God wants to do. God wants to apply his grace to your heart concerning that thing that burdens you and cleanse it completely from your inner being. That's what God wants. God doesn't want to keep you with guilt. He wants to deliver you. Can you hear me? Can you hear? This is a good and wonderful God who loves you and wants you delivered from the blight that you feel on your soul and to fix your hope in grace is to walk today in the grace that saved you the grace that brought you into being and the grace that sustains you every day and if that sounds like a life that's awfully dependent let me tell you, it is fully dependent on the God who made us and loved us. But in him, there is tremendous liberty for the living of every day. It's the freest way to be. Trusting the God who created you and setting your hope in grace. Do you have any hope, by the way? I'm encountering hopelessness here and there in various places where I go people who really don't have hope the hope seems to have seeped out of them and there's kind of a despair that's left do you have any hope you say how do I recover hope you recover hope you recover grace you recover the discipline of the mind by repenting of the life that's pulled you under and turning to the one who raises you up. All right? There's a very practical way, my brothers and sisters, that you can experience a turn in the darkness of the mind and the heart. The mind of Jesus is this way. This is the mind we are to have. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He was in the form of God, but he didn't consider that something to hang on to. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. See, part of the problem is we're stuffing ourselves. We're elevating ourselves. We're making an idol of self. Self-lifting, self-elevation, self-promotion. And Jesus says, let this mind be in you. Don't hang on to that stuff. Pour out your life. Lay down your life. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. He came to this earth. He came in the form of a servant. Here is an antidote for the life that's gotten trapped 
in evil desires and feelings find somebody to love find somebody to serve wrench your vision from the sorrow that has captured you and focus on a hope that you have in grace and share it with somebody there is such liberation in stepping out in love to care for the one next to you who needs you and there is such deliverance in stepping away from feeding myself and my desires into the Christ who calls me to be a servant bow with me please there may be somebody here who's never trusted Christ you've thought about it but you've never made that step would you just pray as God speaks to your heart, would you just pray, Lord, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. Ask God to forgive your sin. Open your life to Christ, realizing that he laid down his life for you, and this is a laying down of your life as you, as you receive him. Maybe you know the Lord, but you have followed a long way off. And you've ended up in a dark place. Would you pray, Lord, I need your hope. I need your grace in this moment in my life. God, I pray for the brother or sister in this room that is in the most difficult circumstance despair has just come upon their soul that God that you would grant to them a new vision to see that this dark place is not the end that you're going to bring them through this place into a place of bright light that this is the valley they must walk through but there's another side God I pray for the one who needs to turn This will be the moment your Holy Spirit empowers that in their life. In Jesus' name we pray.